This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Well, today, folks, we're going to have a great time. Uh, one of the our absolute favorite guests is with us. You can see him in a few minutes. Uh, he's been with us many times since he started in 2017. He's one of the best UFO investigators out there, and he's got incredible stories to tell today. Uh, the last time he was with us, uh, it was an extraordinary show uh, because he brought on his friend who has experiences he's been researching for years, Dolly Saffron. And you can, if you're a subscriber, do not fail to listen to the Dolly Saffron case or just go to the search engine and search Preston Dennett. Preston, welcome to the show. Hi, Whitley. Thanks for having me back on. Well, good. I'm so glad you're here and we're going to have a wonderful time. We're going to be talking about a lot of UFO cases today because Preston has over the years, assembled a number of books about UFO cases. And when you do that, it turns out you're doing something really unusual about some very strange things. Preston has been researching UFOs since 1986, when he was just a boy of uh, 21. Uh, I was unfortunately twice as old as him, which (laughs) tells you where where we're going here. But in any case, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about how you did get started. Cause I don't think we've, I'm not, I'm not sure we've ever asked you that on the show. <laughs> I certainly wasn't looking for it. Honestly, I was super skeptical, vehement. I was sure there was nothing to this and kind of got dragged into it, kicking and screaming involuntarily, uh, and was quite shocked. I mean, really, I was not a happy camper. Uh, How it all rolled out was, I can point to the exact date, November 17, 1986. Uh, The news came on and started talking about a sighting over Alaska. It's a very famous case, which is very well known in the UFO community. I'm sure you've heard of it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Captain Kenju Tarochi, Japanese commercial airliner, was followed by a UFO for an hour. Radar, the whole deal course on the news there was none of those details they just joked about it but i remembered that my brother mark had come running into the house some four or five years earlier i saw a ufo (laughs) just out of his mind and i'm just kind of mark you're you're crazy but after hearing this news uh cast i decided to ask marco what he saw and boy did i get a shock he in short, was driving with his two friends, Phil and Greg, who I know. And uh, this was at night and late 1970s or early 80s, maybe. And uh, saw this object, which they first thought was a helicopter, but it was, clearly wasn't. It was quite close, treetop level, metallic disc, colored lights, a dome on top, totally silent. And they chased this thing in their car down Reseda Boulevard, actually passing other cars who were also chasing it. I'm like, Mark, are you serious? And he's like, listen, if you don't believe me, call Phil and Greg, his friends, which I did. And they confirmed the story. And I started asking other family members uh, and found out that this is something that is in my family. 
my brother's wife, Mark, his wife, Christy, had had very close encounters with little blue beings uh, as, a, as a young girl for like two weeks. They came into her room. And uh, my other sister-in-law, I have five brothers and sisters, so pretty big family. <laughs> uh, she had had a close encounter not only with UFOs, uh, but with greys. She walked right up next to them outside her home in Van Nuys when she was in college. And further questioning revealed that I have two nephews who've had encounters, one with humanoids. Uh, never got to ask my parents. My dad was vehemently skeptical. My mom had passed away. So I don't know if it goes farther back. I suspect it does. But yeah, probably a lot, so, yeah. A lot, a lot of friends, too, and coworkers. I was not a happy camper, Whitley. I was really upset. I really was. Um, this should have been covered in the news. This should be taught in schools. And it wasn't. And there was a cover-up. Couldn't believe it. And uh, it kind of hurt my feelings that, you know, my family, friends, and coworkers, people I loved and trusted, were keeping secrets from me. So that's how I got involved. Yeah. And you became a researcher, not, a, I wouldn't say obsessed, but oh, certainly I <laughs> very, very thorough, very thorough. <laughs> oh, speaking of thoroughness, free dreamlanders, I don't know how this relates, actually. We're going to take a brief break on the free side. We'll be right back. Unknowncountry.com. It's huge. It's much more than just a Whitley Strieber book site. It contains thousands of hours of interviews, meditations, podcasts of all kinds. My original hypnosis tapes are there. You can actually hear the moment that I discovered that I at least was not alone in this universe in the office of Dr. Donald Klein so many years ago. Whitley Strieber audiobooks, Communion, Transformation, The Secret School, Breakthrough, Majestic, and so much more powerful meditations. But more even than all that, it is a community of people who are either looking to gain contact or actually in contact now. There is no community like it in the world. It is absolutely unique. Contact really is happening here. That's what these shows are all about. That's what my life and this website are about. It's real, and it can be of enormous benefit to us individually and to mankind as long as we take our part and do it our way. This is what being a member of Unknown Country is about. So go to unknowncountry.com and subscribe today. Join us and join, very frankly, the future. Have you ever read Communion? Or have you never read Communion? It's out in a new edition very powerful, a subtly new cover, 
that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us because they truly are. You can get it from the unknowncountry.com store as a Kindle, as a beautiful, sumptuous paperback, or as an unabridged audiobook read by me. It's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read in full in audio format. And believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories into it. And I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion. Listen to it. Read it. Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. We're talking to Preston Dennett, his new book, Not From Here, Selected UFO Articles, Volume 4. And when we get into this, and you, some of you probably read the earlier volumes, if not, they're all worth reading because Preston has an absolute genius for se selecting these extraordinary cases, and they are simply extraordinary. Uh, let's start at the beginning. When I opened the book, I thought, surely Preston has has gotten to the bottom of this bucket. This He's scraping the bottom now. And then I read the first chapter heading, Car Lift Cases. <laughs> Preston I thought maybe he's, this is going to be more interesting than I think. And that has proved to be the case. So tell us a little bit about just that car lift cases. Yeah. I'm, I, I became interested in this because I got my own car lift case when there was a wave of sightings over Topanga Canyon. Uh, this was in 1992 to 1994. And a couple described driving through the Canyon when a, object came over their car and lifted it up into the sky. I do believe they had missing time. But then very early on, you know, shortly after I got involved in this field, of course, the Knowles family case from Australia earned international headlines. And uh, that occurred in 1988. So I was still pretty new to this field. It's a really famous case with Faye Knowles and her three sons driving along the Nullarbar Plains in southern Australia late at night. It's a very remote area and had an object come down and actually landed on the roof of their car. Very unusual, but lifted it up. And uh, it wasn't until I was writing a book, UFOs Over Nevada, that I ran into three cases in a row like this. And I started to remember others. I thought, oh my gosh, this is a thing. And these are not I'd, the majority of these, uh, what I would call, you know, people being taken on board. These are objects coming down and just lifting the car up, carrying it anywhere from a few yards, a couple hundred feet to a mile, two miles, six miles in one case. It's so <laughs> bizarre. And I was shocked to find so many cases. And as you may know, car these UFOs do have a penchant for chasing cars down the road. But this yeah. is a new level. Well, let's take it to an even newer, higher level. 
some teenagers are driving along the highway in, in, in an area, a rather isolated area. They get their pickup truck stuck in the sand. Yeah. Tell us the rest of the story. Yeah, this is an interesting one. This is one of the ones that really got me thinking. Uh, and I honestly would have ignored it if it, because it's so bizarre, but it's not unique. This was the earliest case I could find, by the way, 1959. This was outside of Goldfield, Nevada. A group of four teenagers, I believe, were just uh, driving around, had vacationing basically from California and became stuck in the sands, the desert sands outside of Goldfield, Nevada. And if you look this up on a map, it's a pretty isolated area and tried to dig themselves out, couldn't, and decided, well, one of us will walk out in the morning and get help. And so they're just sitting there in the bed of the pickup truck talking. The subject of UFOs actually came up and uh, they thought, wouldn't it be cool if one came down? <laughs> Uh, which is interesting to me because there's a lot of cases like that where people will start talking about UFOs or mentally even call one out, and that's when they do have a sighting. So I think there is some synchronicity or connection here. And sure enough, one did show up. This was all coming from one witness who reported his case to New Fork many years following the incident anonymously. Uh, and he says that this object came right down lifted the truck up, and put it back on the road. And I know all this must sound to a skeptic, uh, but I do have a number of cases where UFOs have basically rescued people from car accidents or during car accidents. I think that fits into this category. But many years later, he contacted his girlfriend who was there to see if she could verify this and remembered it. And that's the first thing she said. She says, do you remember that? He's like, yes, I do. What do you remember? And they remember the same thing. The only difference was she said it was a very fun, joyful experience. She was laughing, and it really quite frightened him. Well, that's interesting because the um, uh, this business of, of telepathy is turning out to be extremely important. Uh, I know uh, Jimmy Blanchett, uh, who works with these radios, uh, the... Uh, at the 144.1 frequency where he makes contact using the radios, he started with a UFO sighting and a telepathic request as to how to get in contact with them. And he proceeded to be given the 144.1 frequency and he used it for contact with them ever since. I haven't been in touch with him for a while. But that's an example of tel telepathy. Uh, John Martin in uh, Georgia, who films UFOs almost every night, uses telepathy, I believe. And I think that we should all understand that this actually does work. I mean, it not always and, and not even often, but it, it does work. And once people get into it uh, and they start to make more telepathic contact, begins to work better, sort of a channel opens. Can you tell us a little bit about your views about telepathy and contact and maybe we could, how we might use it to, to actually improve the contact situation? 
Yeah, it certainly turns up in a lot of contact cases. People will receive a very strong, I mean, I had this experience. You receive a strong impulse to go outside and there is a craft. Telepathy is how they communicate almost universally when people are having you know, face-to-face -face contact or being on board a craft. So this is not as unusual as it might think. Uh, telepathy has been proven, by the way, in a laboratory setting a number of times. This is something we all do have the ability to do. So, it's so what's, been, what's been proven is that it works statistically. Yeah. But what hasn't been done is we can't figure out what the connection is. Is that correct? Or is, yeah. there, is there some field that we've discovered? Or yeah, I don't think anyone's detected actual thought waves, what the spectrum, what you know, part of the electromagnetic spectrum, if any, is you know, involved with telepathy. I suspect it is measurable. Uh, but yeah, I'm not sure we know from mainstream science exactly what that is. Uh, but it does appear to cover vast distances instantly. So I'm not sure it's even part of that because <laughs> uh, it seems to supersede light in terms of a instantaneously. I don't know. I do know it's real. Uh, there's so many cases of this where people will you know, even see a UFO and get messages from it. I had that happen. I was had interviewed this woman I'll call her Wendy, who was having major encounters, and I was transcribing her interview, and it was a wild case, one of my early cases, but she was talking about hybrid babies and punching and ET and all this stuff, and I started to second-guess it and had a very strong, irresistible impulse to run under the roof of my condo. I lived in Canoga Park, California at the time. Got up there, and 10 seconds later, maybe this UFO showed up, and it gave me a telepathic message. And honest to God spoke to me, not so much in English, but with a sense of knowing and said, it's us, you know, we're Wendy's ETs. Here you are, here we are. If you don't believe, watch this. This darn thing, which was a hundred, maybe 200 feet away, right above the apartment building across the way there, across the uh, LA river, it starts darting around back and forth. This thing gave me a message. It was a very personal message, but uh, absolutely it spoke to me. And uh, that's the first time that happened, but it wouldn't be the last. You, you want to tell us anything about the message at all or just a hint maybe? Yeah, I mean, all it said was, you know, we're real. This is us. We're Wendy's ETs. Um, if you don't believe, I mean, we're, she's telling the truth is basically what they came to tell me. And uh, that was it. <laughs> Yeah, I called Wendy up and I'm like, you're not going to believe this. She's like, oh. <laughs> she believed it. She's like, I told you I was telling the truth. What do you mean? I'm like, well, it's not that I was doubting you. It's just a big story. You know, it's a lot to wrap my head around. <laughs> she ended up taking me out later, a couple of months later, and they came down again. Um, full Did force. you see them? Oh, yeah. I mean, not the ETs themselves, but a, this object came down and it was 20, 30 feet away. 20 feet off the ground, this beautiful sphere covered with scintillating gold lights. It was exquisite. I mean, it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. We were jumping up and down. It was unbelievably beautiful. 
You know, folks, probably some of you are jealous about him getting all this, especially some of you other UFO investigators. Well, I am too, because Preston really does get this happening to him. And um, most of us don't. I mean, you know, we don't uh, see anything. And of course, I'm always waking up in the middle of the night and I see things and I certainly have a lot of contact. But an incident like that has never happened to me. I wish it had. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I've had sev several of that, actually, over the years. Um, Associated yeah, contactees is a big clue if you want to see something, you know, hang out with someone who's having contact. Yeah, well, that's that's a, a good advice, I guess. You know, let's, let's circle back. Uh, one of the most popular dreamlands I've done in many years was the interview with you and Dolly, Dolly Saffron. And I want to sort of catch up and find out how Dolly's doing and is her, our close encounter experience is continuing and are used to still in touch and all of that good stuff. And we're going to do that for you dreamlanders just after this brief break. Did we misunderstand the teaching of Jesus? Perhaps a long time ago, perhaps almost as soon as he rose from the dead, we mistook him for something that he may not have been. But we do know one thing. He was one of us. His life and his resurrection reveal the power of the good in all of us. And his teaching shows anybody whether they have religious beliefs or not, how to find that goodness and live it. Get Jesus a New Vision. It's available as an audio book. It is available as a paperback and as a Kindle. Get it today. This is Whitley Strieber. Listen to me now from June of 2010 talking to Alan Lammers about an incredible thing that happened to him on the island of Sulawesi in Indonesia. Here you are in South Sulawesi in the little town in the district of Sandu Batu. You were, what happened? You were told something rather strange. Well, we were told before we went, um, like my, my friends that I worked with in, with the NGO, they told me that when you pack, because it kind of happened by accident, I went out to buy a raincoat. It rains quite a bit in this part of the world. And so I went out and I bought a yellow raincoat. And my friend said, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't take that to Walla Walla. And I said, well, why not? And he says, well, it's the, you can't wear that color. So anyways, excuse me. So I thought, okay, well, what colors can I wear? They, they said, well, you can only wear black or white. You cannot wear any bright colors, no bright green, especially no yellow. And, you know, that's all you should bring. And I, and I said, well, what would happen? And they said, well, uh, people disappear. You will find the rest of that story, and it is brain-bending, in the June 5th edition of Dreamland, June 5, 2010 edition of Dreamland in the theunknowncountry.com archive. This archive 
is one of the richest of its kind in the world, probably is the richest of its kind in the world, filled with extraordinary shows, of which this show is certainly one, this show with Alan Lammers. You will never have heard anything like it. It does what Dreamland is here to do. It opens your mind to the fact that we live inside a hidden reality that we prefer not to acknowledge, but not here. Here on UnknownCountry.com, we do acknowledge it. We live in it and we love it. Subscribe today. You can't go wrong. Go to UnknownCountry.com right now and get started. We're talking to Preston Dennett, his new book, uh, Not From Here. And boy, is that ever true, Preston. We were talking about, just starting to talk about Dolly. And how is Dolly now, and what's going on in her life, if I may ask? Yeah, she's doing well. Um, she is continuing to have experiences in terms of still being in telepathic contact with the ETs. Uh, but she says they've bugged out. They are not hanging around Earth right now due to our magnetic fields being so unstable. But yeah, she's still absolutely in contact with them. I've had a bunch of experiences with her, paranormal, and one at least UFO experience, uh, where we visited the Laughlin UFO Megacon together. This was last year, well, now two years ago, about a year and a half. And uh, Talata, the craft that she pilots, that she goes on board, came down and did a little display. So I love that when you're investigating a case firsthand and you become a participant. And uh, we've had, yeah, some out-of-body adventures together, which is beyond cool. So, yeah, she's doing well. Well, wait a minute. You've had some out-of-body adventures <laughs> together that are beyond cool. You're going to have to expand on that for us. <laughs> oh, I was hoping you'd ask because it's... <laughs> So amazing, you know, as you may know, I'm really into the OBEs, astral projection. I wrote a book on it after learning how to do it and getting pretty good at it. And uh, one day I thought, you know what, I'm going to visit Dolly. And uh, she at the time was in Florida, I believe, Georgia. At any rate, I was in California and I found my you know, self out of body. I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do and managed to get to her house. And uh, people never see me when I'm out of body. I've tried to, you know, you're a ghost, basically. And I tried to get family members and friends to notice me. They never do. And so I appeared in Dolly's house and I saw her walking around. She was on the phone and she whirled around and looked me straight in the eye and spoke to me and said, I can't talk now. I'm being robbed. And that quite alarmed me and pulled me right back into my body. And at that time we were talking daily, you know, I'm, I've done hundreds of hours of interviews for, with her for the book. And we spoke the next day and she's talking to me and I'm thinking, well, she's not bringing up that she was robbed. So maybe I'm mistaken because that would be the first thing I would tell somebody. But then she says, you know, I saw you last night 
I'm like, you did? What do you mean? She says, you came out of body and visited me, didn't you? I'm like, yes, I saw you. Um, she says, I was in the garage. I'm like, yeah, that's where you were. Uh, and uh, she says, I said, what did you say? Because you said something to me. And I, you know, and I want a verification. And she says, well, I was on the phone. So I, I was busy and I saw you and I said, I can't talk no. now. I'm on the phone with Rob. I thought, oh, <laughs> I thought you said I'm being robbed. But it was close enough that uh, it was verification for me. And here's the really cool end note to this. It was, it was a week later. I'm in bed, you know, asleep. And my room fills up with light, wakes me up. And I open my eyes thinking, what is going on? And Dolly appears in this golden aura. I mean, looking amazing. And she's smiling ear to ear, <laughs> looking at me. And it turn, turns out turnabout is fair play. <laughs> well, she really shocked me. And following that, yeah, we started having some shared out-of-body experiences. And real quick, one super cool one was she took me out. She's good at this. I no, mean, no, not real quick. Go ahead and tell us the whole story. I thought you were kind of winding up, but this is so cool. Just <laughs> go right ahead. We're, we're all ears and eyes. All right. Yeah, because this was so amazing to me. I, um, having had a lot of OBEs, I've never had them shared. I got close with my sister-in-law. She remembered them as dreams. But Dolly appears in my room. She's like, you ready? I'm like, I'm ready. And off we go to the Kuiper Belt way out beyond earth and it's an asteroid field that's just endless and so beautiful i mean these things are just i mean i can't even begin to describe what it looks like it's just giant asteroid field spreading out forever into the distance in different <laughs> shapes and sizes and um textures kind of and my attention focuses on this one thing that is different from the others it's a glowing orange ball and it's super smooth and i'm like what is that and dolly says well what do you think it is i said i i don't know i don't know what it is and it's all i can tell you is it's not natural she says well that's your answer and you know later when we were back in the physical world we talked more about it and she's basically yeah that's et that is one of their outposts so to speak so that was one of a number of adventures we've had she once took me to the past to see giants on earth uh, which you know if you look into the subject of giants on our planet there's some outstanding evidence that they did walk on earth and she showed me i got to see giants it was amazing where were you when you saw this could you tell? Gosh, I'll have to ask Dolly. She probably knows. Um, we'll have I, to have Dolly back on the show, and we're, we're going to do another show with Dolly, folks. That's, this is such a fascinating person. You know, when you get into this business of searching around in the world of UFOs and all of these strange things, you also meet people who are really, really extraordinary and strange, and Dolly is certainly one of them. Uh now, I want to go on. We're sort of working our way through this extremely cool new book, Not From Here. 
because what it what I love about these books, and this is just one of uh, quite impressions. This is the fourth one of these Preston has written, is that they are mind openers and mind benders. Uh, you read these stories and you think, I, my word, wh what are we and where do we actually live and wh wh why is the world like this? And why are we pretending it's something different? And I guess before we go on into crashing into UFOs, which we're going to be talking about in a minute, I want to float this question. We live with blinders on. And I, I you don't anymore, Preston. I mean, you just, you've had your mind blown so many times and your, your blinders have burned out. <laughs> so... Why is that? How, what advice would you give people to where they might notice more of what's actually all around us? Yeah, this is something I have noticed because my belief system was shattered over and over again. My mom passed away. That shattered my belief system. Finding out UFOs were real. You know, it just happened so many times. What I, and people have a tendency to view the world through their belief system and interpret things according to what they think they know. And what I would caution people to do is just drop your beliefs because and focus on knowledge that is experiential. You have to know what you know um, and not rest on beliefs that are unsupported by actual experience. I mean, you can read all you want about other people's experiences. That's not true knowledge. Ultimately, true knowledge comes only from personal experience. And if you want to see a UFO, you can. Or go out of your body. Or see a ghost. Or a Sasquatch. Or whatever. Uh, so I think people just need to step back, be objective, meditate, leave fear behind, and open their mind to the possibilities. Uh, with, with OBEs, the main, I would say, obstacle from having experiences basically fear laziness and skepticism and if you can overcome that you can have these experiences it's not hard to do yeah yeah exactly you can overcome that assumption that this can't happen to me because actually it can happen to anyone if you especially if you want it and generally if you want it to happen to you it's something you, what happens is something you would want. In other words, you don't have a bad experience. And right. I've had good experiences and bad experiences. Most, most close encounter witnesses have. How about Dolly? Has she ever had bad experiences? No, I don't think she would, you know, I'd have to, I don't want to speak too much for her. Uh, yeah, I understand. But, but we'll certainly. ask her the next time we're on the show. She's had, she's you know, she had some fear initially early on. I know at age 14, it really freaked her out to see the ETs looking down at her from a craft at her bed, you know, into her bedroom. And she turned around and dived under the bed in fear. But following that, no, it's been pretty much all positive for her. She's, you know, fully conscious of during her experiences. And if you know Dolly, she's pretty fearless anyway. <laughs> she's a real go-getter. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, I, I can't say that she's had negative experiences with ETs really at all. 
Okay, well, we're going to talk about crashing into UFOs. And just for free dreamlanders, we're going to be doing that in just a few minutes. We'll be right back. This is a brief excerpt from an interview with two contactees who had an 11-day close encounter experience and are now willing to speak about it, really, for the first time. To hear their whole interview and many others, subscribe to unknowncountry.com. Here's the excerpt. Did you see the man's face? Yes. Uh, actually, that one is very clear to me. It was kind of longish, and uh, he didn't look... He didn't look completely human, but he, because he had very, very thin hair, almost non-existent, but he was young, I believe that it was kind of blonde, and he was very tall, like six, at least six feet, and he was so thin that he looked kind of strange. And what happened then? Well, he wanted me to to go with him or to stay with him. He wanted me to stay with him on the ship. And I'd been married for six months, and I wasn't about to go running off to stay on the ship. Now, surely you want more. You must want more. And there is more, not only this contactee interview, but many others, many of them just as extraordinary on unknowncountry.com, plus everything else that we offer, my audio books, the meditations, the talks on the key, William Henry's wonderful revelation show in its entire run, and Streber's brilliant and magical mysterious powers, and so much more. Hours and hours of listening pleasure. Learn from the meditations on the site. Really learn because they're real and they're valuable. Subscribe to unknowncountry.com right now. Go to unknowncountry.com. Click on the subscribe tab. We are running very low on new subscribers now, and that should not be. It should not be happening. So you do it. You go there and you do it today. Okay, we're talking to Preston Dennett, his new book, Not From Here. Uh, it's also incredible cover on it and beautifully illustrated by Christina Dennett, uh, who I gather is your wife or sister. or She's my brother's wife. Um, your brother's wife. My ah, sister-in-law, okay. yeah. Sister-in-law. Well, she's a wonderful artist, and it's it's full of very cool, fun illustrations illustrating each chapter and what i want to talk about now is this business of crashing into a ufo and uh let's just let's just let you roll with it i'm not even absolutely sure what you what you'll say but uh let's start with planes and then we're going to go to cars because that happens too folks it does yeah, people might not be aware of this, but UFO collisions with vehicles of all kinds do happen. And I was really not aware of this. I mean, I knew of a few car cases, 
after putting out this book, I'm getting quite a few more coming at me. Uh, but yeah, planes, trains, automobiles, boats, uh, people have collided with UFOs many times. Uh, not as many as you might think, considering how close they do come to planes and how many pilot encounters there are. I found about a half dozen to a dozen with planes. Uh, one of the earliest I found occurred in 1955 over Pixley. This is in California, outside of Bakersfield, Southern California. It's a very well-verified case. What I find interesting about this is the witness was a major, an Air Force major, and basically said that he was, quote, struck by a flying saucer. He says it was like hitting a brick wall. There were ground witnesses as well. Edwards Air Force Base did try to cover this up and deny it, but later had to admit, because Major Mervyn Stevens did give an interview, Edwards Air Force Base officials admitted that this plane struck something and that it looked like it was hit from above. And that's just one of several plane encounters. Probably one of my favorite occurred on May 2nd, 1974. And this caused quite a press uproar in Mexico, where it happened over Mexico City. It involved a private pilot. Uh, his name is uh, Carlos Montiel. And he's flying along on a little Piper Aztec uh, plane, little thing. It was an old plane. He was a little bit worried about it. And he thinks this is perhaps why these UFOs showed up. There was three of them that came right I mean, surrounded his plane, and one came right up under him and actually struck the landing gear. It shook him up so bad that he was crying and weeping as he's in contact with the control tower and came in for a landing. Um, he continues to talk about this to this day. You can look this up. These, everything, all these cases, I footnote and source. I am not making any of this up. Uh, I was surprised to find how many cases there are. There's a very famous case of a Chinese commercial airliner, which had something strike its nose cone at 26,000 feet. Now this could be, there are a few birds who do fly at that height, condors and geese, uh, but there was no debris on the nose cone, which usually is there. Hard to say, but yeah, I found about, I think it was seven or 10 cases of planes striking these objects and some are very well verified i wonder if there have been any crashes caused by this that we maybe that that situations that you know of that that there have been damage to the planes that crashed them or that mysterious crashes that maybe have been caused by this are you aware of anything like that Oh, yeah. There's a few of these cases where the planes did go down and, you know, causing loss of life. I mean, there was a, a famous UFO crash retrieval in Coyami, Mexico, that this UFO apparently struck a plane. And that plane went down and this UFO went down and was eventually recovered by U.S. military forces. Uh, this is all written about in the book Mexico's Roswell. I know Torres and Ruben Uriarte, well-respected researchers, I think. So, yeah, I think that does happen. But these are super rare. Um, I mean, you can count the number of cases on you know both hands in terms of planes actually striking them. 
whereas the number of pilot encounters is well into the thousands. And they will appear right in front of the cockpit <laughs> at times and circle around the planes and do all kinds of stuff. Well, yeah, there's an extraordinary video of the UFOs circling the Concorde uh, as it was making its maiden flight, as if to say, we can fly circles around you. Yeah, literally fly circles. <laughs> literally, yeah. exactly. All right. Um, now, what about cars? That happens too, doesn't it? Yes. In fact, after putting out this book, I've been contacted by a number of people and found at least five cases. And I already had a dozen. And some of these are really extraordinary. Um, I would say one of the most interesting involved a gentleman by the name of David Morris, who this was in 1967 in Kent, Ohio. He's on his way back from work late one evening and sees a glow ahead of him on uh, the road. And as he pulls up along towards this glow, he sees it's a craft of some kind, and it's very unusual. So his attention is really on the craft, not on the road in front of him until he sees movement. And uh, looking ahead of him on the road, he saw a number of short little figures, helmeted, glowing, um, running across the road. They were not paying any attention to oncoming traffic. He slammed on his brakes and a thump hit one of these guys, screeched to a stop and starts to get out of his car and looking back at them can see they're not human. They're looking at him. He becomes filled with fear and races home. Um, he did call his best friend and told him what happened after he calmed down. They went back to the scene. They found his skid marks on the road. Uh, his vehicle was slightly damaged in terms of the chrome being bent and uh, dented. They ended up calling the police who did an investigation. Uh, they ended up contacting UFO researchers. It became a pretty well-verified case. You can listen to the audio recordings of David Morris describing this incident. Uh, which where I put where can we listen to those recordings? I put them on my YouTube channel so you can. Oh, okay. And that's right. Preston, tell us about your YouTube channel, please. Uh, he's got a, he's got a terrific YouTube channel. Thanks Whitley. Yeah. I'm having so much fun with it. I mean, it's a lot more work <laughs> than I ever expected. It's still a pretty new channel. Two, three years. I've been doing YouTube at the advice of a friend who said, you know, you really should consider getting a YouTube channel. So I've been putting out my research for people who you know don't have the time to read books or are just not into it and putting all the cases out that I can. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not in this for the money. This is an important subject. And I really think people should know about it and uh, having a lot of fun putting out each of the cases that I investigate or whatever I look into onto this channel and did a whole episode on these collisions. Uh, <laughs> Anybody who's in this for the money has got a, got a <laughs> nasty surprise. <laughs> That's not a lot of money in this, uh, but it, it is too fascinating. Once you get it, once it happens to you, especially, you just become obsessed. You you can't you can't stay away from it. I'm that way. I mean, I just yeah. you know, visitors. The last time I had an encounter with them was last night, 
and it wasn't a physical encounter, but it was a, it was still there. And, um, you know, you, that happens in your life and you just, you can't let it go. What about you? Do you have encounters uh, of any kind, physical or non-physical? Yes. Um, and it's taken me, it's been a long pathway for me. Because uh, I'm like, why am I so obsessed with this? You know, There's got to be something in my past that I can point to towards contact. And there's little tiny clues. A possible missing time incident when I was... 12 where I missed lunch. I was so upset because, you know, we had with five, you know, six kids in the family, you don't miss a meal. <laughs> you just don't. And where was I? I was so upset. I'm like, how, I, I don't understand that. So there's a couple of little things like that, but then I started having sightings. I did have a missing time incident in 1992 when a little orb came down in front of my vehicle. And I was, I stopped, I looked at this thing. And it darted away, and that's the last thing I remember. I should have turned around and gone back to my brother Mark's house. I was two minutes away. I said, I saw this thing. Oh, my God. And I didn't. I don't remember anything after that. I forgot the whole incident, in fact. I didn't remember any of it at all until months later. So number of sightings after that. started having dreams of being on board these craft with the you know, rounded walls, tables, uh, holding babies on a few occasions. And I guess I'll just go there because I haven't really talked about this at all. But this was on my birthday last year. Yeah, I think it was last year, maybe a year before that, where I did have a full-on onboard encounter. And uh, talking to Dolly about it, because I thought, could this be an out-of-body experience? But after she heard me talk about it, she's like, no, mm, I don't think so. I think you were physically taken. Uh, because what happened was I found myself being sucked up this tunnel-like thing. And it was quite, you know, I've had a lot of OBEs, and it was some ways similar to that, but it was different. And I popped out in this center of this craft, and rounded walls, there was grays. Uh, I'm laying on a table, and they're asking me, am I all right? Am I all right? And I said, I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine. I want to get up and look around, right? Uh, and they were very concerned about my well-being. I said, listen, I'm just fine. Can I get up? And they said, okay. And there was windows all around. It was a 30-foot room, maybe. There were several other people there, normal humans, some grays. I walked up to this tall gray and she looks down at me and tilts her head a little bit. She's very loving, very kind. She says, is this what you thought it would be like? I said, it's much better. This is amazing. And uh, I ran to the window and I'm looking down at the site. We dropped down to the earth in a second from outer space, it seemed. And I think we picked someone up. I'm a little vague on that. Rose back up and uh, wasn't a whole lot more than that. At some point, they came up to me. They said, drink this. It was this little... You weren't concerned? No, I felt absolutely safe. I felt very... It was a very loving, positive experience for me. 
I had no fear whatsoever. I felt I was with friends. I really, really did. And uh, I looked at it. I'm like, it's a little crystal kind of well, beaker, sort of small. It had this kind of pink liquid in it. And not super, I mean, it was viscous. Like, not like pancake batter. More like a smoothie, right? But clear and sort of pink, almost neon, but not quite. And I took a sip of it, and, like, and it was very subtle, almost a kiwi lime taste. And uh, they took it back. I'm like, wait, can I have another? <laughs> and they seemed quite surprised at that and then gave it to me. And I took another sip, and it knocked me out. And boom, I'm back in bed. The milk of Nepenthe. <laughs> yeah. I, I have drunk that many times. Not not it not the same formula, but the same thing. It, it, you know, it's. I think it's made with opium. I think it's very real. It's I'm interesting sure. that you even mention it because it's. It has concluded quite a few experiences of my own with this drinking of this liquid, and then I'm completely out until the next day. Yeah, I wrote about this in a previous volume of Not From Here. Alien drinks. <laughs> it is a thing. They will do this. And it was so well, tell us a little bit about some other. I mean, I don't imagine they have cocktails or anything like that, but maybe they do. Tell us a little bit about alien drinks. Fascinating. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there was one case in England uh, where a whole family was taken on board. Gosh, the, their name escapes me. Uh, but at any rate... It was your typical sort of onboard experience. They all get examined, a little tour of the craft, get some information, and they're set back down. And before they're let out, all of them are given a drink. And they said it was bitter. Oftentimes, people will describe this as a bitter, milky drink. That's been my experience, bitter, milky drink. Just That is to say opium in, in, in some kind of a solution. Yeah, and they said this will make you forget. It's important that you don't remember this right away, but you will remember. And they gave it to everyone except for the youngest kid, who was four. And uh, the next thing they know, they're on the road, and the little girl's like, we were on a spaceship, we were on a spaceship. And they're all looking at her like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, out of the mouths of babes. Uh, and, uh, she remembered fully, but no one listened to her until they later recalled this. And that's the typical alien drink account. There are a few cases where people said they felt it was just fruit juice for nourishment. Uh, but generally, it seems to be medicinal in some way or having to do with uh, having making it so a person won't remember and can be returned home. I asked Dolly about it, and she says, actually, this is a drink that protects you against uh, gamma radiation, and it's to uh, for your health. So I think there's probably some different things going on here yeah i would think so that that there might be many different uh many different things going on and uh, because there are many different reasons to give people drinks uh some of them being to obviously to help them forget or make them forget uh, maybe nourishment is one and but maybe you know you drink a lot of things that that have psychedelic content in this world, like ayahuasca, and there's other substances that are drunk. And I wonder if any of these drinks 
might be hallucinogenic in some way. Have you ever uh, explored that at all? Um, t to a degree, I did ask Dolly about it. And she says, "No, no, they don't do that." Uh, mm -hmm. I I don't have any evidence of that. Uh, one lady, she did was given a drink, and she says it actually improved her vision. So uh, I think they're largely health related in some way or nourishment or those are the three things I came up with. It's, it's medicinal. It's got something to do with health or it's to help you not remember. Uh, yeah. So, to, to, to cause you to lose your memory. Yeah. I think that's yeah. honestly what's going on, but no, I have no evidence of ETs taking hallucinogenics or feeding it to people. Government, perhaps, yes, they actually have done that. <laughs> well, yeah, they did that in the MK Ultra experiments, in the Tuskegee experiments. No, the Tuskegee experiments with, where they infected black people with uh, syphilis to see how it, how that worked out. Yeah. Turned out not to work out very well at all. So I think some of the my labs might involve this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why I brought it up, but there. There seems to be something of hallucinogenic, something hallucinogenic about the whole thing. And uh, uh, I mean, the, the MyLab thing, but not so much the ET thing. And yet at the same time, when you're face to face with this, you have to wonder, am I hallucinating? Yeah, it's a, definitely an outlier of an experience for a lot of people. <laughs> It's funny oh, yeah. when you have something like this happen to you, you start going through. Well, Jay Allen Hynek called it called it theory escalation. Uh, you don't want to jump to like this is real. Like, is this a dream? Yeah. You know, is this what am I looking at? Is that a helicopter? What is going on? When that orb dropped down in front of my car, my first thought was bird. My my second was firecracker. My third was reflection. But, my fourth was like, this is real. I don't know what this is, but it's a glowing orb the size of a golf ball in front of my windshield. I, it's real. I felt like it was looking at me. I seriously felt like this thing knows I'm looking at it and it's looking at me. I think those little orbs might be something like cameras or something along those lines or sort of a bio, a biological machine that, can do all kinds of of unusual things. Um, the, the let's get back to the crashes. Uh, 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 I wanted to talk about the Carlos de los Santos Montel case. Uh, he's flying his Piper uh, from uh, Guerrero to Mexico City, and this case, then what happens tell us a little bit more about that case if you will yeah this was so interesting because they surrounded his plane and he's done drawings of these these were small metallic craft not super big 10 20 feet across your typical flying saucer dark metallic in appearance silent as near as he could tell and uh they came like under both wings or right up next to them, but one came right up under his aircraft and actually struck his landing gear. Did not severely damage it. Uh, yeah, it did touch it, but it was more like a fender bender, which is, I think, true in a number of these cases. They will just kind of nudge. 
not all, some are actually full on, you know, struck, but uh, it was not super long in terms of duration, uh, but really caused a huge emotional reaction for him. Uh, he was weeping and crying, and after he landed, he was visibly shaking. They took him to the doctor. He was fine, but just emotionally shaken. It became a very well-publicized case. Uh, but he wonders if perhaps they were actually trying to rescue him because he had some severe doubts about the uh, plane engine and how well it was going to run. It was quite old. Uh, so that could be what's going on in this case. It seemed very much intentional as opposed to an accident, which is what's true, I think, in most of these cases. I hate to speculate, but that's what it looks like. I want to talk now about the Chris Rutkowski case uh, from June of 1974, because this could have been a case that is being written up right now uh, in the Tic Tac incidents and things like that. It's it's just like what is happening now. And, you know, the recent go government has gone back into debunking mode, apparently, and has been now trying to debunk the, the, the cases that it said were unknowns a little while ago. And but I'm not going to go down that road right now, partly because it doesn't interest me. And it's obviously a, 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 a silly season attempt at recovering, getting back to the old world where they could snicker at the truth and, and humiliate the witnesses. Um, and they're not going to get that. They're not going back there. The gentlemen and ladies of the Defense Department. I'm sorry, but that's over. And it's going to stay over. Okay. The Rutkowski case, June 74. He's flying a Phantom uh, jet at 30,000 feet. Tell us more. Yeah, this is a Japanese Air Force pilot, actually. I wanted to find the original source on this. Oh, I'm sorry. It's, it, it's, it, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry, folks. Uh, it's a Japanese pilot. Chris was, I thought the name was familiar. Chris is a researcher. And yeah. you, you, you got the story from him. That, okay, let's yeah. just be clear about that. All right, All right. Yeah, go Chris, ahead. Chris Rutkowski is a well-respected Canadian researcher who's, I think, doing really good work in this field. And that's um, who I'm citing in this case. Most of these cases do have multiple sources, and I try to track them down. I had a little bit of trouble with this case, but I felt it was legitimate. He's a good researcher. And, yeah, June 1974... The Japanese Air Force pilot is flying a Phantom jet and uh, encounters a 40-foot-wide metallic disc and locks his weapons on this object. And according to the, the case, this disc strikes the nose of this uh, Phantom jet, causing what unfortunately ended up being a fatal accident. I wish I could find more information on this case. I wasn't able to, uh, but I thought it was important to include because it fits the pattern that we're seeing in some of these other cases. So Yeah, the gunnery officer died. The pilot survived the ejection when they ejected from the plane. But there are a number of cases like this that you bring up. Uh, the... Uh, uh, there's another one of a of a collision where the plane and the UFO 
in this is the El Paso case. Yeah, this is the, the one with no Tories and Ruben Uriarte, Mexico's Roswell. I believe you're. This is the one we talked, talked about a little a little while ago. Maybe I should actually have them on the show, and because there's enough there to. We probably should talk about it. Actually, I, I'll see if I can get in 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 touch with them. Um, now, the, the the Mobile, Alabama case is another case of an apparent um, crash related or damage related incident. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, this one has some serious questions about it. Uh, this is one of few cases where the NTSB actually finally concluded because they originally said this is pilot error and that really quite upset uh, the people who had looked into this case and the family uh, because that's not what happened this occurred to a gentleman by the name of thomas prezios this was on october 23rd 1992 and uh he was uh it was this was a little cargo plane and apparently struck this object in midair. And it, what was mysterious about this is there were no known planes in the area at this time. The Air Force was contacted and they said, no, we have no drones, no planes. There was one plane that was somewhat in the area, but it was no, nowhere near this plane. And a big investigation followed. They did find some strange red streaks on Thomas's plane. So it looks like perhaps they thought maybe it's a drug runner plane, but they discarded that because there was no wreckage of any other vehicle other than any other plane, other than Thomas Prezios's. So ultimately they were not able to determine what caused this accident other than it was some sort of collision. And uh, yeah, an NTSB spokesman says, and I quote, I don't know of any other accident that we have in our files that states collision with an unknown object. So there you go. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that, um, that is absolutely fascinating. So the NTSB in effect admitted this and, uh, uh, which is quite, quite unusual. But, you know, something that's not so unusual, but is actually rather sad, is that our free listeners will be leaving the show now. And I would like to thank them all, as always, for uh, staying with us. Not from here is Preston Dennett's new book. Uh, it's a wonderful journey through these mysteries. And the reason these books are so important is that they open your mind and they open you to the possibilities of wonder that exist all around us. Some of it is dark wonder, some of it is light wonder, but it's all wonder. And it makes the human mind and the human being greater. And don't miss Preston's YouTube channel. Is it YouTube just forward slash Preston Dennett? How do we get to it? Yeah, just punch in my name. It'll take you there. UFOs and the Paranormal with Preston Dennett. Okay, great. Okay, now, so free Dreamlanders, thank you for being with us and always watch Dreamland or listen to Dreamland every week. There's no show like it in the world. I, I know that because I'm the only person, I'm the only podcaster on the show, therefore there can't be another show like it. 
but uh, it's been going on a long time, more than 20 years, uh, since 1998. And um, we've got a huge inventory of fascinating programming on unknowncountry.com. And you can enjoy a lot of Preston Dennett shows on that, on the, on our, on our uh, website as well. And they're absolutely fascinating. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by unknowncountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.